Hi, Rebecca Shear here. Looking for more ways to circle round with us? Join the Circle Round Club and get all sorts of great perks, like a welcome box with Circle Round goodies, monthly newsletters, even ad-free episodes, and bonus bedtime stories. Support our public radio podcast and sign up now at wbur.org slash Club. Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Hi, it's Thanksgiving time, and this week we're going to make your holiday even more delicious. You're about to hear an hour and a half of your favorite Circle Round stories all about food. It's a special we're calling a feast for your ears. So, whether you're traveling on the road, cooking in the kitchen, or putting away those leftovers, get ready for some scrumptious listening. When someone does something nice for you, or gives you something you've been wanting, what do you say to them? Ideally, you say, thank you, right? When we express gratitude, we can make someone feel good and appreciated. But in today's story, we'll meet some magical creatures who never say thank you or please, or you're welcome. That is, until a talented baker teaches them a very sweet lesson. I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. Today our story is called Fiona and the Fairies. It's inspired by a folktale from Scotland, the northernmost country in the United Kingdom. Some really great people came together to bring you our tale, including Selenus Leva. Grown-ups, you may know Selenus from two Netflix shows, Orange is the New Black and the new limited series Maniac. So circle around, everyone, for Fiona and the Fairies. If you think about the most delicious thing you've ever eaten... Then you multiply that deliciousness by 1,000? Well, that's what it was like to taste a treat baked by Fiona. Fiona the baker was famous for her cookies and pies, her muffins and scones. But what made Fiona legendary were her cakes. People from all over town lined up to order her fluffy frosted cakes for their birthday parties, weddings, and other celebrations. If folks could afford to pay full price, Fiona charged them full price. But if they had barely a penny to their name, she'd give them the cake for free. Their gratitude, she said, was payment enough. Because not only was Fiona a gifted baker, she was generous, good-hearted, and polite as can be. Then there were the fairies. The fairies lived in a cave deep in the forest at the edge of town. And more than anything... The fairies hungered for a taste of Fiona's cakes. Oh, fairies, we must find a way to get some of Fiona's yummy cake. I know, but but how? We've been trying forever. Every time we show up after a party, the the cake's cake's all all gone. gone. And why was the cake all gone? Well, you see, two things set these fairies apart from the fairies you might know. For one, these fairies had very sensitive ears, so they disliked loud noises. Every time someone threw a party and Fiona's cakes were on the menu, the fairies had to wait until the lively music stopped and the chatty guests went home before they fluttered over to grab some cake. 
But by then, there was nothing left. Not even a crumb. Now, you may be asking, why didn't the fairies just approach Fiona and politely ask her to bake a cake for them? Well, that brings us to the second difference between these fairies and the ones you might know. While Fiona was all about being kind and generous to others, these fairies were all about satisfying themselves. And while Fiona was all about good manners, these fairies never said please or thank you, let alone you're welcome. Now, the fairies had noticed that just before dinner, while Fiona's husband and baby were playing inside the house, the baker would go for an evening stroll. It helped her brainstorm new flavors for her cakes. One evening, the fairies hid in the tall, soft grass outside Fiona's house. The moment the baker stepped out her front door, the fairies darted toward her, the moonlight glinting off their rapidly beating wings. My goodness, I've never seen so many fireflies out at this hour. They're so thick, I can hardly see. Maybe I should turn around and go back home. But before she could say another word, Fiona crumpled down on the tall, soft grass and fell asleep. You see, as the fairies flitted around the baker's face, they sprinkled fern seed in her eyes. Fern seed is a magical ingredient that makes people instantly drop into a deep slumber. All right, fairies, she's out! Let's get her! One, two, three... Lift! The fairies grabbed on to Fiona's dress and apron, hoisted her into the air, and flew her to their cave deep within the forest. When Fiona woke up, she glanced around with confusion. Where am I? The fairies smiled. Why, you're in Fairyland, of course. Fairyland? How did I get here? We brought you! For a very particular reason. You see, Fiona, we We want want your your cakes. My cakes? Yes. We've been drooling over your cakes for a long time now. But we've never tasted a crumb. They're always devoured too quickly. So... We're ordering you to stay with us in Fairyland. And bake us cakes forever! Fiona looked from fairy to fairy. Okay, so let me get this straight. You're asking me to stay here and bake cakes for you. Forever? Is that right? We're not asking you. We're We're telling telling you. you. Now remember, Fiona always appreciated good manners in others. That included people and fairies. But clearly, here in Fairyland, no good manners were to be found. And Fiona was determined to change that. After spending her entire life baking up treats and sweets, Fiona realized that now it was time to cook up a plan. What would you do if you were Fiona? We'll find out what happens after a quick break. Hi, my name is Amadeo. I live in Los Angeles, California. And my favorite episode was the Piper and the Puka. Because I like the part at the end when he wasn't scared anymore. And everybody um, started coming to listen to his bagpiping music. 
I like that part. Welcome back to Circle Round. I'm Rebecca Shear. Today our story is called Fiona and the Fairies. When we left off, Fiona the baker had been whisked away by the fairies. The fairies were ordering her to stay in fairyland and bake cakes for them forever. But Fiona had a husband back home, and a baby, and a wonderful life. She didn't want to leave all that behind. And besides, Fiona was big on kindness, generosity, and good manners. And the fairies didn't have any. So she decided to teach them all a lesson. Listen, fairies, I am tickled to hear how much you've been wanting to taste my cakes, and I will bake for you. But first, I'll need a few things. Like what? Well, for starters, I'll need a mixing bowl and a spoon. Please? One of the fairies zipped out of the room and returned with a golden bowl and spoon. But the bowl was the size of a walnut, and the spoon was no longer than a blade of grass. Thank you. But I'm afraid I'll need something bigger. Could you go back to my house, into my kitchen, and fetch me the biggest mixing bowl and spoon you can find? And while you're there, gather flour, sugar, butter, eggs, and every other ingredient you'd fancy in a cake. Please. So the fairies whizzed back to Fiona's house and returned with everything she'd requested. Thank you. I have more than enough to bake the most scrumptious cake ever. Or do I? The fairies were puzzled. What do you mean, Fiona? Well, now that I think of it, I can't ever seem to measure my ingredients without my cat lying beside me. His purring is so soothing. It helps me measure everything slowly and carefully. Could you go back to my house and bring me my cat? Please? So the fairies zoomed back to Fiona's house and returned with the cat, who immediately curled up by Fiona's feet and began to purr. Thank you. Now I can get to work. Or can I? The fairies were baffled. What do you mean, Fiona? Well, now that I think of it, I can't ever seem to mix the ingredients without my dog sleeping beside me. I circle my spoon one time around the bowl every time he snores. Could you go back to my house and bring me my dog, please? So the fairies darted back to Fiona's house and returned with the dog, who promptly dropped down beside the cat and began to snore. Thank you. Now I can get started on this cake. Or... Can I? The fairies were perplexed and growing impatient. What do you mean, Fiona? Well, now that I think of it, my family has no idea where I am. I can't mix or measure my ingredients properly if I think they're worried about me. Could you go back to my house and bring me my husband and baby, please? So the fairies flitted back to Fiona's house and returned with her husband and baby, who were very happy to see her. Thank you. Now, at last, I can do some baking. Or 
Can I? By now, the fairies were more mystified than ever and more impatient. What do you mean, Fiona? Well, now that I think of it, it's past dinner time. My baby must be hungry. I prepared a pot of stew earlier today. It's sitting on the stove. Could you go back to my house and bring me that pot? And a spoon? Please? So the fairies flew back to Fiona's house and returned with the pot of stew and a spoon. Thank you. Now I'll just hand these over to my baby and I'll get baking. But you know how babies are. Everything seems like a toy. So no sooner had Fiona handed her baby the pot and spoon than the child began banging them together like a drum. Now remember, these fairies detested loud noises. Immediately, they started flying round and round in a frenzy, their teeny hands clamped tightly over their tiny ears. Fiona had seen this coming, and just as she had planned, the noise got considerably worse. The baby's banging startled the cat and dog. The animals jolted awake and were soon racing around the room, the cat howling and yowling and the dog barking and growling. The fairies squeezed their eyes shut and shook their heads. This is unbearable! This is intolerable! Fiona, we beg you! Can you stop this racket? Please! Ah, you said the magic word. Quick as a wink, Fiona scooped some stew into her baby's mouth. The child smiled with pleasure. He stopped his banging, dipped his spoon into the pot, and began gobbling down bite after bite of peas, potatoes, and carrots. As soon as the baby settled down, the cat and dog did too. Suddenly, the room was silent. The fairies stopped flying round and round and sank to the floor, exhausted. Oh, thank you, Fiona. Thank you so much. We are so, so grateful. Truly. Fiona smiled. You're very welcome, fairies. And thank you. The fairies cocked their tired heads. Thank you. For what? Fiona laughed. For finally showing some decent manners, of course. All this time, I've been waiting for a little please and thank you. And now that I've gotten both, well, now I will bake you your cake. And she did. After the cake had cooled, the fairies gobbled it up with glee. It was every bit as delectable as they thought it would be. From then on, Fiona baked the fairies a new cake each and every week. Mind you, she did it from her own home. She and the fairies agreed it would be easier that way. Every Sunday, Fiona would load up a platter with a fluffy frosted cake and leave it at the edge of the forest. And every Monday, she'd come back and find her platter sprinkled with gold coins. It was the fairies' way of saying thank you. Because Fiona had given the fairies more than food. She'd given them food for thought and taught the important lesson that when you're kind to others and you show your appreciation, well... It can be truly sweet indeed. Now it's your turn. 
Over the next day, think about ways you can show gratitude to other people. It might be a simple case of saying thank you. You may want to make someone a thank you card or give somebody a thank you gift. Use your imagination and your kindness to help other people in your life feel even more appreciated. This week's story, Fiona and the Fairies, was adapted by me, Rebecca Shear, and edited by Circle Round's executive producer, Jessica Albert. Original music and sound design is by Eric Shimalonis. Our intern is Gabby Murzowski. Our artist is Sabina Hahn. Sabina has drawn black and white pictures for every Circle Round story, pictures you can color. Ask your grown-up to visit wbur.org slash circle round and click on coloring pages. Print some out, add some color, and if you're up for it, have your grown-up share them with us on Instagram. We're at instagram.com slash circle round podcast. Special thanks to this week's actors, John Bell, Makania Chesser, Adam Mastriani, Tracy Lynn Oliveira, and Selenus Leva. Grown-ups, you can see Selenus on AMC's Dietland, along with two Netflix shows, Orange is the New Black and Maniac, co-starring Jonah Hill and Emma Stone. The featured instrument in today's story was the vibraphone. You can read about this mallet instrument and see a picture on our website. Again, that's wbur.org slash circle round. You can subscribe to Circle Round on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a moment, please write us a review. We're eager to hear what you think of the show. Circle Round is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling around with us. Ever played the game Telephone? You sit in a big circle, and if you're the one starting, you whisper a word or phrase into the ear of the person next to you. Then they whisper what they think they heard into the next person's ear, and so on. By the time your message gets all the way around the circle, chances are it's pretty mixed up and sounds nothing like what you originally said. And that is exactly what can happen when people gossip, when they meddle in other people's business and share other people's secrets. In today's story, we'll meet a big gossip who learns a very tricky lesson about spilling other people's beans. I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. Today our story is called When Fish Fly. Versions of this folktale come from a number of places, including the Ukraine and Russia, Germany, Denmark and the Netherlands, and India. Some really great people came together to bring you our tale, including John Culinary and Anthony Carino. Grown-ups, you might know these real-life cousins from HGTV's Cousins on Call, Kitchen Cousins, and America's Most Desperate Kitchens. And kids, you may have seen the guy's very first children's book. It's called What Can You Do With a Toolbox? And it's on shelves now. So circle around, everyone, for When Fish Fly. There once was a butcher named Ivan. From all his years working with heavy, beefy animals, Ivan had grown muscular and strong, with burly legs and brawny arms. He was a big guy, but he had an even bigger mouth. You see, Ivan loved to gossip. Hey, did you hear what happened to Mrs. Jones? And I just heard the juiciest thing about Mr. Nelson. He couldn't keep a thing to himself. 
Once Ivan caught wind of a piece of news, it wasn't long before the entire town knew about it. And the bank. This one's a doozy, a real doozy. Next door to Ivan lived a fisherman named Oscar. Oscar was a clever man, and people in town often came to him for advice, including what to do about Ivan. You have to help us, Oscar. Ivan the Butcher is such a busybody. Such a blabbermouth. How can we get him to mind his own business? And stop sharing ours. Oh, I don't know, friends. Not yet, anyway. But trust me, I will find a way. It just so happens that Oscar's grandmother was turning 100 years old. So Oscar was planning a surprise party. And somehow Ivan the Butcher hadn't found out about it. The day before the Big Bash, Oscar was in his house, getting everything ready. Okay, the decorations are up, the party hats are out, we've got our snacks, of course. Cheese and crackers, Grandma's favorite donuts. Now remember, Oscar the Fisherman lived next door to Ivan the Butcher. Ivan the Blabbermouth Butcher. So Oscar knew to keep things on the down low whenever he was at home. He spoke quietly on the phone, and more often than not, he kept his curtains closed. Well, today, Oscar was too busy to realize that his tabby cat had torn a hole in one of the curtains. So as Oscar was preparing for the party, guess who was peeping through the window, watching everything? That's right. Oscar! Hey, Oscar! Ivan, the blabbermouth butcher. I see what you're doing, Oscar. You can't hide from me. Oscar couldn't believe his lousy luck. Oh, no. He motioned for Ivan to come inside. The butcher came barreling through the door. Wow! This is quite the party you're planning, neighbor. What's the occasion? Oscar thought about lying to Ivan, but in addition to being clever, the fisherman was also very honest. Well, Ivan, it's my grandmother's 100th birthday. It's supposed to be a surprise. Ivan's eyes lit up. Oh, I love surprises! Don't you worry, Oscar. Your secret is safe with me. The butcher turned around and began heading toward the door. Now, if you'll excuse me, I just need to head in the town and run a few errands. Oscar's mind began to race. He knew exactly what Ivan was really going to do. Rush to grandmother's house and tell her everything. Wait, Ivan. What if you put off your errands for a few hours and we went fishing? All these years we've been neighbors, and we've never really spent any quality time together. What do you say? Ivan was a big guy, and he had a big appetite. The thought of fresh fish made his mouth water. Fishing? Huh. That sounds good to me. My errands can wait. Great. Why don't you go home, get yourself all ready, grab a couple of baskets, and I'll meet you at your place in an hour. It's a deal. As soon as Ivan left, Oscar jumped into action. He went into the kitchen, where he was storing the snacks for the party. He picked up three wheels of cheese and stuffed them into a bag. Then he filled a basket with donuts. Clutching the bag and basket, Oscar dashed through the forest. When he got to the river that flowed alongside it, he was pleased to see his traps were teeming with fish. Without missing a beat, Oscar scooped the fish out of the traps and placed them in a tree. Get in there, little buddies. There you go. Then he took the wheels of cheese and rolled one into each of the fish traps. Ah, uh, are these going to fit in there? Oh, perfect. After that, he walked from bush to bush, hanging donuts on the branches. You get a donut, you get a donut, you get a donut, everyone gets a donut. When Oscar was done, 
He wiped the donut crumbs from his fingers, then crossed them tightly, hoping that his plan would work. Donuts on bushes, fish in trees, cheese in traps. What do you think Oscar the Fisherman has up his sleeve? We'll find out after a quick break. What's your name? Leander. Where do you live? In down in, in Manchester, Massachusetts. And what's your favorite story? Um, when fish fly. Why do you like that story? Because I like all the goofy parts. Donuts and bushes and the fish and trees. Especially the cheese and the trap. <laughs> I'm Rebecca Shear. Welcome back to Circle Round. Today, our story is called When Fish Fly. When we left off, Oscar, the clever fisherman, was trying to keep Ivan, the blabbermouth butcher, from spilling the beans about grandmother's upcoming surprise party. So Oscar hatched a plan. He invited Ivan, his next-door neighbor, to come fishing with him. But first, Oscar ran to the forest. He hung donuts from the bushes, put fish up in a tree, and filled his fish traps with cheese. Then he scurried back to Ivan's house, and the two men set off toward the river together. As they neared the water, Ivan stopped in his tracks. Oh my gosh. Are those donut bushes? Oscar smiled to himself. His plan was working. Donut bushes? Let me see. (laughs) Well, what do you know? They are donut bushes, huh? You don't see that every day. Remember, Ivan had an enormous appetite. So immediately he began plucking donuts from the branches and popping them into his mouth. Once the bushes were bare, he turned his eyes toward the trees, hoping to find more donuts there. What he saw made his eyes grow wider and rounder than the cinnamon-glazed treats he had just devoured. Oh my gosh! Is that a fish tree? Oscar rushed over. A fish tree? Let me see. Oh my goodness, it is. It's like the little guy sprouted wings and flew up there. Man, can you believe it? First donuts in the bushes, then fish in trees. Oscar then paused and scratched his head. But wait, if the fish are in the tree, what do you think is in my traps at the river? There is only one way to find out. Oscar and Ivan dashed to the river. When they got there... Ivan's jaw dropped down so far, he looked like a largemouth bass. Oh my gosh. Is that cheese in the traps? Oscar stifled a giggle. Cheese in my traps? Let me see. Holy mackerel, it is cheese. Wow. First donuts in the bushes, then fish in a tree, then cheese in the traps. This is amazing. Oscar watched as Ivan darted over to the traps, pulled out the cheese, and began to eat. But, uh, neighbor, it's probably better if we keep all these miracles to ourselves. I mean, this clearly is an enchanted place. And it's nobody else's business, right? Ivan put down the cheese he was nibbling and held up his hand. You're right as can be, neighbor. I won't tell a soul. boy. Now, what do you say we take the long way home? And mosey through town? So... They did. And wouldn't you know it, 
the moment they reached the bustling town square, Ivan began shooting his mouth off. Hey, everybody! Get a load of this! Oscar and I just saw the most incredible things! Bushes that grew donuts! Flying fish in the trees! We even saw traps filled with cheese! As Ivan blabbed on and on, quite a crowd formed around him. At first, everyone listened intently. But as Ivan continued regaling them about his adventures by the river, it wasn't long before they began to laugh. And laugh. And laugh. (laughs) Get a load of this guy. Donuts growing on bushes. Fish flying in trees. Cheese caught in traps. After this, how can we believe anything Ivan says? But it's true. I saw it with my own eyes. Soon, the entire town was pointing and laughing at Ivan. Their chortles, snickers, and giggles rang in his ears as he turned on his heels and bounded back home. Oscar the fisherman came running up behind him. Ivan, you okay? The butcher hung his head. They didn't believe me, Oscar. They didn't believe a thing I said. Well, it's like I told you, neighbor. None of that stuff was anybody else's business. You promised me you wouldn't tell anyone. You know, some things just aren't meant to be blabbed to everybody like donut bushes and fish trees and cheese traps and surprise parties. Suddenly, Ivan understood. Oh, Oscar, I'm so, so sorry. From now on, I'm minding nobody's business but my own. And he did. As for Oscar, well, he did wind up throwing that 100th birthday party for his grandmother, and boy, was she surprised. All the guests toasted to her health as they feasted on cheese and donuts. Oscar even roasted up some fish from his traps. Ivan was among those at the party. After dinner, he offered to make everyone some coffee. And, true story, much to everyone's delight, he didn't spill any beans. Now, it's your turn. Remember at the start of the show when we talked about the game Telephone? Next chance you get, why not play a few rounds of your own? Gather at least four other people and either sit in a circle or stand in a line. Have the first person think of a word or phrase and whisper it to the next person. Then that person should whisper whatever he or she heard to the next person, and so on. When the very last person hears the message, ask him or her to say it out loud. Then see how much the original word or phrase changed through your telephone line. This week's story, When Fish Fly, was adapted by me, Rebecca Shear, and edited by Circle Round's executive producer, Jessica Albert. Original music and sound design is by Eric Shimalonis. Our artist is Sabina Hahn. Sabina has created coloring pages to go along with each and every one of our stories. Have your grown-up visit wbur.org slash circle round, then click coloring pages. Once you've printed them out and colored them in, share them on Instagram. We're at instagram.com slash circle round podcast. Special thanks to this week's actors, James Konachek, Anne Underland, Tom Whaley, John Culinary, and Anthony Carino. The HGTV stars have written a brand new children's book called What Can You Do With a Toolbox? And added bonus... You can bring the book to life with sound through an app called Novel Effect. You can learn more on our website, wbur.org slash circle round. 
The featured instrument in today's story was the toy piano. You can read about this really fun keyboard and see a picture on our website, wbur.org slash circle round. If you haven't yet subscribed to Circle Round, find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please write us a review. It helps other people find the show. Circle Round is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling round with us. Wherever you are right now, I want you to take a deep breath in through your nose. Did you do it? Okay, if so, when you inhaled, what did you smell? Dinner simmering on the stove, maybe? Soap left over from your bath? Our noses can detect nearly a trillion different scents. And when the main character in our story smells just a handful of them, he winds up in quite a mess. I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. Today, our tale is called Dollars and Cents. That's cents as in S-C-E-N-T-S. People have been sharing versions of this story all over the world, from parts of West Africa and the Middle East to China and Japan, Burma and Cambodia, and France and Peru. Some really great people came together to bring you our tale, including Derek Klenna and Max Casella. Both actors have dazzled audiences on Broadway. Grown-ups, you may also recognize Max Casella from TV shows like The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, The Sopranos, and, if you grew up when I grew up, all 97 episodes of Doogie Howser, M.D. He's also been in movies like Jackie and Inside Lewin Davis. Derek Klenna recently performed in the American Repertory Theater's world premiere of Jagged Little Pill. And he plays DJ Fingerblast in the Netflix original series Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. So, circle around, everyone, for dollars and cents. Jacob the artist lived a simple life. His one-room cottage in the village contained a bed, a stove, a bath, and Jacob's most prized possession of all, his easel. Hour after hour, he'd stand in front of that easel, his paint palette in one hand, his delicate brush in the other, as he created beautiful portraits and landscapes. All of them were bursting with color, and so real-looking, you'd swear they could spring to life. All summer long, Jacob had been working on a portrait of his grandmother. He'd finished every detail in his grandma's picture, except for one, her nose. He'd been trying to perfect that feature for weeks. Oh, what's wrong with me? I know Granny better than I know anyone else in the world, but I can't seem to get her nose right. Okay, Jacob, you can do this. Just stop for a moment and take a deep breath. As Jacob inhaled through his nostrils, he closed his eyes. Then, suddenly... Wow. He snapped them open again. What is that smell? Sure enough, through the open window, there wafted in the most amazing aroma. It was sweet and buttery like cookies and cakes, but also yeasty and warm like the freshest of bread. Jacob had been spending so much time tinkering with his grandmother's portrait that he hadn't sold a painting in months. So money was tight, and Jacob hadn't eaten all day. 
As you can imagine, the smell coming from outside made his mouth water and his stomach grumble. Mmm, mmm. I have to find out where that smell is coming from. Jacob put down his paintbrush and palette and dashed through the door. He followed the smell to the building across the street, where a man was balanced on top of a ladder and hanging up a new sign. It read, Bruno's Bakery. Uh, Excuse me, sir. Is a bakery really moving into this building here? The man put down his hammer. It already has. Bruno just fired up his ovens this morning. I'll tell you, you really should try his cream puffs. They are out of this world. Jacob thanked the man and approached the bakery's front window. Through the glass, he spied a snug little room with tables and chairs and plain white walls. There were shelves of scrumptious-looking breads, cakes, cookies, and pies, not to mention those cream puffs the man had recommended. Jacob felt his stomach growl again. (sighs) There's no way I can afford any of these treats. But I guess it wouldn't hurt just to smell. After all, smells are free. Jacob closed his eyes and inhaled the mouth-watering scents floating out of Bruno's bakery. Suddenly, he felt a rough tap on his shoulder. And just what do you think you're doing? Jacob opened his eyes and saw a man. His brown mustache and black apron were speckled white with flour. The man wore a white chef's hat, embroidered with the name Bruno. I... I'm sorry, sir. Uh, Bruno, is it? It's just that I live across the street, and when I smelled the delicious smells coming from your bakery... I couldn't help but come closer to get an even better whiff. Bruno narrowed his eyes. Well, why just take a whiff when uh, you can have a taste? Jacob hung his head. Well, that's the thing. You see, I'm a struggling artist, and right now I can't afford any of your sweets. But if you'd give me a little sample, I'll go out and tell the entire village about your bakery. No doubt they'll be lining up at the door. Bruno arched his eyebrows. A little sample? Look, I'm starting a new business here. I'm uh, uh, sorry, what's your name? Jacob. I'm starting a new business here, Jacob, and uh, I'm determined to make a fortune. How will I ever rake in a pile of cash if I give my stuff away for free? Although, come to think of it. Bruno stroked his flower-speckled mustache. I already have. Jacob cocked his head. What do you mean, you already have? I mean, I've already given something away for free. Smells! No, no, scratch that. I didn't give the smells away. You stole them! Jacob threw up his hands. Please, sir, I've stolen nothing. All I did was breathe air through my nose. There's no cost for that. There sure is a cost. At least when the air is brimming with smells from my bakery. So... Bruno stuck out his flower-smattered hand. Pay up! Excuse me? I said pay up! By my calculations... Bruno glanced through the bakery's window. You smelled six loaves of cinnamon bread, three loaves of rye, one carrot cake, one lemon cake, two blueberry pies, eight dozen cookies, and half a dozen cream puffs. Now, pay up! Jacob didn't know what to do. By now, his stomach was as empty as a mixing bowl, and he was having trouble thinking. I'm sorry, Bruno, but I don't have a penny to my name right now. 
I just have to sell one painting, and I promise I'll come back to your bakery and buy as many sweets and treats as I can. In fact, with those plain white walls of yours, maybe you'd want to check out one of my paintings. You know, to add some more personality to the place. Bruno's face turned purple as his blueberry pies. I do not want to buy your paintings, and I am not letting you off the hook. You've stolen my smells, Jacob, and for that, you must pay. I'll see you tomorrow in court. With that, Bruno stomped back into the bakery, leaving a trail of flour behind him. Oh, man. Bruno's put me in a tricky position. I'm flat broke, and I can't sell another painting until I start another painting. And I can't start another painting until I finish this painting of Granny. That's it! Granny! She's so wise, she'll know what to do. Jacob ran over to his grandmother's house at the edge of the village. As she always did when Jacob visited, Granny sat him down and fed him a warm, hearty bowl of chicken soup. Now tell me, Jacob, why the furrowed brow? What's weighing on your heart, my child? Oh, Granny, I am in a pickle, a real pickle. Tell me everything. Perhaps I can help. So Jacob told Granny what had happened with Bruno, how Jacob had enjoyed the bakery's smells, and how Bruno now wanted to charge Jacob for them. Hmm, you are in a pickle, aren't you? But don't worry, Jacob. I will think of something. Come by first thing tomorrow, and we'll head off to the courthouse together. But first, take this pot of chicken soup home with you. A talented artist with a full imagination shouldn't have an empty belly. Jacob wrapped his arms around Granny and gave her a big hug. Thank you, Granny. You're the best. How do you think Granny will get Jacob out of trouble? Or will he have to pay dollars for Bruno's cents? We'll find out what happens after a quick break. Hi, I, my name is Oggy. I'm from Rocky River, Ohio. And my favorite talk around is doors and cents. Bye! Welcome back to Circle Round. I'm Rebecca Shear. Today our story is called Dollars and Cents. When we left off, Bruno the baker wanted to charge Jacob the artist for the smells coming from Bruno's bakery, and Jacob didn't have a penny to his name. So he asked his grandmother for help. Over a bowl of warm, hearty chicken soup, she told him to come by the next day so she could accompany him to court. When Jacob woke up that morning, he gobbled up the rest of the soup Granny had sent home with him, put on his one shirt that wasn't covered in paint, and headed over to Granny's. As they strolled to the courthouse, Jacob carried Granny's big wool purse for her. He swore the purse felt heavier than usual, but perhaps it was just his heart that was heavy. 
When Jacob and Granny arrived in the courtroom, Bruno was already there, a satisfied smirk across his face. Jacob leaned in toward Granny. Look at him over there. I'm sure he thinks he's going to win this case. Don't you worry, Jacob. I told you I'd get you out of this mess, and I will. Jacob, Granny, and Bruno all stood up as the judge entered the room, her long black robe flowing behind her. The court will now come to order. Bruno the baker, welcome to town. Now please, present your case. Bruno told the judge everything that had happened the day before. As he was finishing, he raised a finger in the air, then pointed it right at Jacob. That man filled his nose with the smells from my bakery. And for that, he must pay. Jacob felt his heart beat faster. Well, Jacob, what would you like to say in your defense? Jacob swallowed hard. It felt like a swarm of butterflies was fluttering around in his belly. Your Honor, what Bruno says is true. I did fill my nose with the smells from his bakery, but my belly was so empty, and I was so overwhelmed by those delicious scents. <laughs> Look, I wish I could pay Bruno for some of those amazing treats, just one cream puff even, but I don't have the cash. I'm just an artist trying to make a living, Your Honor. I beg your mercy. The judge looked at Jacob. She was about to open her mouth to speak, when suddenly Granny jumped to her feet. Your Honor, if I may please approach the bench. The judge was surprised. Very well, then. You may approach. All eyes were on Granny as she hoisted her big wool purse over her shoulder and shuffled toward the judge. Your Honor, before you issue your verdict, I have something to say. It may be true that Bruno owns the smells from his bakery, and that my grandson Jacob breathed in those smells with neither permission nor payment. And therefore... She reached inside her purse and began rummaging around. I will pay Bruno his just compensation. Everyone stared as Granny yanked her hands free and held up a jar. A shiny glass jar filled with coins. Your Honor, I will pay what Jacob owes with the money I've saved in this pickle jar. Jacob started to rise from his seat. Oh, Granny, you don't have to do that. Yes, I do, Jacob. Like I said, I'm getting you out of this pickle. Granny held up the pickle jar for all to see. Then she gave it a shake. Immediately, the courtroom echoed with the tinkling and jingling of coins. Your Honor, I wonder if Bruno the baker can hear the coins jingling in my pickle jar. Of course I can hear the coins. I have ears, you know. Good. My grandson filled his nose with the smells from your bakery, Bruno. And now you have filled your ears with the sound of my money. Your Honor, the baker has been paid. The judge couldn't help but smile. And so he has. Case dismissed. Jacob ran over to his grandmother and squeezed her tight. 
Oh, Granny, however can I thank you? I can think of one way, child. Finish that portrait. And so he did. After all of his adventures, or misadventures, in the smelling department, Jacob had no problem putting the final touches on Granny's nose. Now that he was free to work on other things, he began painting and painting and painting. Within days, Jacob's studio was crammed with so many finished canvases, he could barely move around. So, do you know what happened? Well, after the trial, Bruno the baker became a lot more generous. He started hiring local villagers to help in the kitchen, and he handed out free samples to anyone who asked. He even gave free cream puffs to children on their birthdays. And when Bruno spotted the stacks of paintings cluttering up Jacob's cottage across the street, he offered to buy all of them and hang them on his bakery's plain white walls. Now, Jacob had a new gallery and a new friend. A friend who now understood that there are so many more important things in the world than dollars and cents. Now, it's your turn. Pick someone important in your life, a family member, a friend, and create a portrait of that person. You can use crayons, markers, colored pencils, or, like Jacob, paint. Whatever you use, think about how you can bring your loved one's image to life. And don't forget the nose. This week's story, Dollars and Cents, was adapted by me, Rebecca Shear, and edited by Circle Round's executive producer, Jessica Alpert. Original music and sound design is by Eric Shimalonis. Our intern is Gabby Merzowski. Our artist is Sabina Hahn. Sabina has created black and white illustrations to go with each and every Circle Round story, and you can color them in. Ask your grown-up to visit wbur.org slash circle round and click on coloring pages. Print some out, color them in, and if you'd like, have your grown-ups share them with us on Instagram. We're at instagram.com slash circle round podcast. Special thanks to this week's actors, Laura Gardner, Dolores King-Williams, Derek Klenna, and Max Casella. Derek Klenna has starred on Broadway in Anastasia, The Bridges of Madison County, and Wicked. He's also appeared on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix. Max Casella's Broadway credits include The Music Man and The Lion King. Look for him on the big screen early next year in the action thriller The Rhythm Section. The featured instrument in today's story was the piano. You can read about this member of the percussion family and see a picture on our website, wbur.org slash circle round. If you haven't yet subscribed to Circle Round, find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please write us a review. It helps other people find the show. Circle Round is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling round with us. Have you ever been on a team? Maybe you've played team sports, or you've partnered with kids in your class on a project. Being a good teammate or partner is all about give and take. But in today's story, we'll meet a mischievous fellow who's far more interested in the taking. 
I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. Today, our story is called The Perfect Partnership. Versions of this folktale come from Ghana in West Africa, where you'll often hear stories about the trickster Anansi. Some really great people came together to bring you our tale, including two public radio favorites, Joshua Johnson and Sam Sanders. Joshua hosts 1A, the daily talk show from NPR and WAMU 88.5. Sam hosts NPR's weekly podcast, It's Been a Minute. So circle around, everyone, for the perfect partnership. It was the height of fishing season, and Anansi had a hankering for fresh fish. Mmm, I could sure go for some nice flaky tilapia or tuna. (laughs) Yeah, tuna would be good. But here's the thing about eating fresh fish. You have to catch them first. And Anansi wasn't big on hard work. Let's see. First I'd have to build some traps, then set them in the water, then check them for fish, then pull in the catch. Ugh! Just thinking about all that hard work makes me sleepy. Anansi may not have been a hard worker, but he was a quick thinker. His specialty was being clever and outwitting people who weren't as bright as he was. Ha ha! I know what I'll do. I'll find myself a partner. Someone I can trick into doing all the work. Then I'll take all the fish and eat it myself. Anansi walked along the water's edge, searching for the perfect partner. He spotted a fisherman carrying a large tuna. Its silver scales glistened in the sunlight. Anansi felt his mouth water. Hello there, friend. Uh, Tell me, where did you get that beautiful tuna fish? The fisherman grinned. What, this tuna here? I caught it today. Right here in these waters. Did you now? I did. Tell me... Anansi flashed his warmest smile. How would you feel about having a partner? A fishing partner? Yeah. The fisherman thought for a moment. Then he slipped the tuna fish into his basket, extended his arm, and shook Anansi's hand. You have yourself a deal, partner. Meet me bright and early tomorrow morning and we'll get started. The next day, just as the sun was beginning to rise, Anansi dragged himself out of bed to meet the fisherman. Ugh, I haven't woken up this early since... since... well, since never. But it'll be worth it once I trick the fisherman into catching all my fish. When Anansi reached the water, the fisherman was already there waiting. In one hand, he held a large knife. Good morning, partner. I can hardly wait to get going. So, what do we do first? Well, we can't catch a fish without a trap, right? So I'll go into the forest, cut down some palm branches, and build us a set of traps. Anansi couldn't help but notice the fisherman said, I, not we. But while you're cutting down branches and building traps, what am I supposed to do? I'm glad you asked. We're partners, right? So we'll split the chores. While I'm doing all the hard work... You're the one who'll get weary and exhausted. Oh, and it's a super steamy day, so you'll do all my sweating for me, too. Now remember, Anansi was not big on hard work, partly because he disliked feeling weary and exhausted, not to mention sweaty. Wait a second! Why should I be the one to feel pooped and sticky? Why don't I cut down the palm branches and you get tired and hot? The fisherman smiled and held out the knife. 
As you wish, partner. Then he plopped down in the shade of a palm tree. Anansi took the knife and began scrambling through the trees and cutting down branches, while the fisherman panted and yawned on the ground. Ah, look at that fisherman. All wore out over there. It's a good thing I'm gathering these palm branches. Otherwise, I'd be an absolute mess just like him. After an hour of chopping and hacking, Anansi brought his palm branches over to the fisherman. The fisherman looked as if he would fall asleep any minute. Wow. That sure is a big pile of branches, Anansi. Carrying it to the water will be backbreaking work. But we're partners, right? So I'll bring the branches to the shore while you get a sore back. Now, if you think Anansi disliked hard work because it makes you tired and sweaty, well, he definitely wasn't a big fan of aches and pains either. Wait, wait, wait. I don't want my back hurting. I will carry the branches and you will get the sore back. The fisherman smiled. As you wish, partner. Anansi scooped up the palm branches and trekked over to the water. The fisherman followed behind, clutching his back and moaning. (laughs) This partnership is turning out even better than I'd imagined. First the fisherman gets all zonked out, then he nearly breaks his back. Meanwhile, I get all the easy jobs. You are winning, Anansi. Winning. As soon as Anansi reached the shore and dropped the palm branches on the ground, the fisherman collapsed in a heap. Nicely done, Anansi. Now, the next step is to weave the palm branches into fish traps. I'll show you how. You just go over, under, over, under. It's pretty intricate work, and you'll probably get a stiff neck and even stiffer fingers. But we're partners, right? So I'll weave the traps while your neck and fingers get sore. Well, knowing what you know about Anansi, when he heard the fisherman's newest offer, you can probably guess his reaction. No way! No stiff neck and fingers for me. Let's make that your job. I will weave the traps. The fisherman stopped clutching his back and smiled. As you wish, partner. While Anansi worked, the fisherman grabbed his neck and clenched his fingers groaning woefully. Uh, Uh. It's official. I'm a genius. Look how beautifully my plan is playing out. I'm on my way to getting fresh fish, and the fisherman is more miserable than ever. When Anansi was done weaving the traps, the fisherman walked over, flexing his fingers and massaging his neck. These traps are beautiful, Anansi, especially for a beginner. Now I just need to set them. The fisherman picked up the traps and was about to take them to the water when Anansi stopped him. Wait! If you set the traps, what do I have to do? The fisherman arched his eyebrows. Well, there are a lot of fish in those waters, and many of them like to bite. But we're partners, right? So while I set the traps, you'll feel the sting of the fish bites. Anansi began to tremble. Fish bites? (laughs) Nuh-uh. I'll set the traps, and if a fish bites me, you will feel the sting. Anansi grabbed the traps from the fisherman. As he bolted toward the water, the fisherman smiled. As you wish, partner. Once Anansi was done setting the traps, and he emerged from the water unbitten, he and the fisherman agreed to meet the next morning and see what they'd caught. Anansi watched the fisherman limp away. The poor guy was rubbing his back, neck, and fingers and whimpering softly. 
You know, I almost feel sorry for the fisherman. But hey, we're partners, right? And tomorrow, this partner is going to get all of the fish. <laughs> Will Anansi succeed in tricking the fisherman? We'll find out after a quick break. Support for Circle Round comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Circle Round. That's Indeed.com slash Circle Round. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We've been looking for even more ways to circle round with superfans like you. And now we've got another one. The Circle Round Club. When you join the Circle Round Club, not only do you support the public radio station that makes Circle Round possible, but you can get all sorts of perks, including a welcome box with Circle Round goodies, weekly activity emails, monthly newsletters from me, Rebecca Shear, and early access to Circle Round events. You can also get bonus bedtime stories, behind-the-scenes videos, and ad-free episodes. Sign up now at wbor.org slash Club. Welcome back to Circle Round. I'm Rebecca Shear. Today our story is called The Perfect Partnership. When we left off, trickster Anansi had forged a partnership with a fisherman. Anansi hoped to fool the fisherman so that he could take home all the fish they caught. So far, Anansi thought he was getting the better end of the deal. He cut down palm branches while the fisherman got tired. He wove and carried fish traps while the fisherman got sore. Then he set the traps in the water so that if he got bitten by a fish, the fisherman would feel the sting. When Anansi and the fisherman met up the next day, long before breakfast, they found two fish flapping and flopping inside the traps. Well, partner, we did magnificently well. Look at this. Two fish. Anansi's stomach rumbled. Yes, two fish, both fresh and plump as can be. Now, I know what you're thinking. You do? Yes. You're thinking that, as partners, we ought to divide these two fish between us. But what we have is a perfect partnership. So, I insist you take these two fish for yourself. And tomorrow, when we no doubt catch four fish... I will take the catch. Anansi quickly did the math. He would get just two fish while the fisherman got four? Uh, Nonsense, (laughs) partner. Uh, Yesterday was such an exhausting, uh, back-breaking day for you. The the least I can do is let you take these two fish, and tomorrow I will take the four. The fisherman tried protesting, but Anansi insisted. All right, then. Whatever you wish partner. And the fisherman ate the two fish himself. The next day, just as the fisherman had predicted, the traps contained four fish. All right, Anansi. I promised you yesterday, and I am a man true to my word. 
these four fish are yours. I will take tomorrow's fish, whatever the catch. And at the rate we're going, we're bound to get eight. Having skipped out on yesterday's fish, Anansi was getting hungry. But why settle on just four fish when he could have eight? You know what, partner? (laughs) Why don't you take the four fish we've caught today, and I'll take what we catch tomorrow. Once again, the fisherman tried to argue, but Anansi stood firm. Okay, then. Whatever you wish, partner. And once again, he ate all four fish himself. The next morning, the fisherman was right again. Eight fish were flapping and flopping around in the traps. Only by now, the traps were starting to fall apart. The weaving was coming undone, and the branches were getting slimy and slippery. The fisherman took hold of the traps and ran his finger over a slick edge. Anansi. Today's catch was magnificent. Eight beautiful fish. These traps, though, instead of using them another day, I think we should sell them at the marketplace. Your weaving is so magnificent. I bet they could fetch an amazing price. What do you say I take the fish traps to sell, and you take the eight fish to do with as you like? Eat them, sell them, whatever. By now, Anansi was ravenous. But when he heard the fishermen say the traps could fetch an amazing price, he forgot all about his belly and thought more about his wallet. Well, it's like you say, I did weave those traps myself, so why don't you take the eight fish and I'll sell the traps and collect the cash. The fisherman smiled. Whatever you wish, partner. The fisherman collected his eight fish, Anansi hoisted up his slimy, disintegrating traps, and the two men headed to the marketplace. In no time at all, the fisherman had sold all of his fish. Anansi, on the other hand, well, try as he might to get someone to buy his traps. Fish traps. Get get your fish traps here. All he got were chuckles and odd stares. Within hours, everyone in town had heard about Anansi. Soon, he was surrounded by hundreds of people, all of them pointing at his crumbling traps and laughing their heads off. Anansi was so humiliated, he threw the traps to the ground and dashed out of the marketplace. He ran straight into the fisherman, who had witnessed the entire thing. Well, hey there, partner. Anansi hung his head. Hi. I hope you learned an important lesson, Anansi. I did. And maybe you'll think twice before trying to trick someone again? Maybe. Anansi lifted his head and looked at the fisherman with twinkling eyes. But hey, what kind of partner are you anyway? When everybody was laughing and pointing just now, the least you could have done was gotten embarrassed for me. (laughs) Anansi and the fisherman laughed. But thanks to their perfect partnership, Anansi had indeed learned an important lesson. A few, actually. He learned how to collect branches and weave fish traps. He learned how to set the traps and catch fish. And, most important of all, he learned that when you try to make a fool of somebody else, you're bound to make an even bigger fool of yourself. Now it's your turn. Think about a time when you were a good partner. 
Maybe you helped a friend solve a crossword puzzle, or you helped a grown-up do chores around the house. Find someone you like to have fun with, a family member, a friend, and tell him or her what you did to be a team player and how it made you and your partner feel. This week's story, The Perfect Partnership, was adapted by me, Rebecca Shear, and edited by Circle Round's executive producer, Jessica Alpert. Original music and sound design is by Eric Shimalonis. Our artist is Sabina Hahn. Special thanks to this week's performers, Joshua Johnson and Sam Sanders. Grown-ups, you can hear Joshua as the host of 1A, the daily talk show from NPR and WAMU 88.5. And be sure to check out Sam's weekly NPR podcast, It's Been a Minute. The featured instrument in today's story was the marimba. You can learn more about this member of the percussion family and see a picture on our website, wbur.org slash circle round. If you haven't yet subscribed to Circle Round, find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please write us a review. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. Circle Round is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling round with us. Think about the last time you accomplished something on your own. It can be a wonderful feeling, right? Knowing you're strong and independent enough to get something done. Working with others is fantastic too, of course. But in today's story, we'll meet a woman who learns that self-reliance can be very sweet indeed. I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. Today, our story is called A Taste of Honey. Versions of this folktale originally come from Pakistan and India in South Asia. Some really great people came together to bring you our tale, including Hannah Simone. Grown-ups, you might know Hannah from her seven seasons on the Fox comedy New Girl. And special treat, you'll get to hear Hannah's father, Naren Simone, in this story, too. So, circle around, everyone, for a taste of honey. Once upon a time, in a village in the countryside, lived a woman who made the most delicious honey you've ever tasted. Her name was Kamala. Kamala kept three beehives in her tiny backyard. She collected the honey from the hives and sold it at the market. Everyone in town raved about how sweet and golden Kamala's honey was, and yet somehow she couldn't sell enough to make ends meet. She lived in a modest cottage with her father, and as he got older, he depended on his daughter more and more. So with business so slow, Kamala feared that soon she wouldn't be able to support either one of them. Then one day, Kamala heard the king's son was getting married and everyone in the village was invited to the party. Now, it just so happened that Kamala had recently sold a jar of her sweet golden honey to one of the king's advisors. The advisor reported back that his royal majesty loved it. Suddenly, Kamala knew what she would do. I'll go to the wedding reception and ask the king for a favor. Everybody knows it's bad luck to refuse a request at a wedding. 
reception, Kamala stood in a long, long line of people, all waiting to talk with the king. By the time she reached the front, the party was nearly over, and His Excellency seemed rather grumpy. Yes. Oh, Your Highness, this is such an honor. Look, you don't know me, but... No, I don't know you. Kamala gulped, then flashed her warmest smile. Like I said, you don't know me, but one of your advisors bought my honey a few weeks ago, and I hear that you really enjoyed it. A lot of people do, it seems, but, um, not enough. I live with my father, and he depends on me, and I don't know what's going to happen if business doesn't pick up. So, I'm wondering if maybe, just maybe... You could help me out? The king narrowed his eyes. Help you out? Well, yes. They do say it's bad luck to refuse a request at a wedding. And I do want to get all this partying over with and just go to bed. So, I tell you what. I own some land at the edge of town, and I have absolutely no use for it. If you plant it and sell the harvest, I'll let you keep half of the gold coins you make. Kamala quivered with joy. Yes! Yes, please! Thank you, Your Majesty. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, move along. Next. The next morning, Kamala and her father journeyed to the edge of town to check out the king's land. Kamala had heard this desolate area was popular with thieves and robbers, but she was so excited about her deal with the king, she had a smile on her face the whole trip, until she and her father reached their destination. Then Kamala's face dropped. Oh, no. Stretched out before Kamala and her father was a mess of dirt. Sticks and weeds poked out of the clumpy brown earth, which clearly hadn't been plowed in years. Oh, my dear, dear daughter, I am no farmer. But how in the world are we going to plant anything here? We would need a team of horses to plow this land. I know, and we never could afford that. Kamala thought for a moment. Hmm, I tried relying on the king to solve my troubles, and clearly that wasn't the answer. I'll have to come up with something on my own. But what? Looking around, Kamala spotted two long sticks on the ground. Suddenly, she had an idea. She snatched up the sticks and handed one to her father. Here, father, take this and do exactly what I do. Hmm, okay. Kamala's dad watched as Kamala put an anxious expression on her face. So, he did too. Kamala glanced nervously over her shoulder. So, he did too. Then Kamala began walking around the field, poking at the ground with her stick. So, yes, he did too. Mm, Kamala, can I ask what we are doing? Trust me on this one, Father. I have a plan. Now, remember, Kamala had heard that thieves and robbers hung out around these parts. Sure enough... Seven of those thieves and robbers were hiding in a thicket nearby. And, just as Kamala hoped, her and her dad's odd behavior had caught the greedy thieves' attention. Guys, what's going on over there? Those people have been walking around that field for hours. And poking the ground with those sticks. It's pretty weird. 
It sure is. Hey, boss. What do you think? The chief of the thieves squinted to get a better look at Kamala and her father. Hmm. I can't tell what's going on. But look at the way they're glancing over their shoulders. Maybe they have something to hide. Something valuable. As the leader of this pack, I'll go see what I can learn. So he stuck his hands in his pockets and sauntered over to Kamala and her dad. Though he was burning with curiosity, he tried to act casual. Hi there, folks. I hope you don't mind me asking, but what's with the sticks? Kamala glanced to the right and left, like she was checking to make sure nobody else was listening. Then she leaned in and looked the leader of the thieves right in the eye. If I tell you what we're doing, do you promise you won't tell a soul? The thief leaned in, too. I promise. Well, last night I attended the king's wedding banquet. His royal highness said my father and I should plant this plot of land. But, rumor has it, there's gold in it. The thief's eyes widened. Gold? Yes. So we've been using these sticks to dig for treasure. But we're getting very tired, so... We have to head home now. We'll try again tomorrow. As soon as Kamala and her father put down their sticks and walked away, the leader of the thieves rushed back to the thicket to share the news. The seven thieves immediately sprung into action. They grabbed some sticks and dug all day under the hot summer sun, turning up every single inch of earth. But they didn't find any gold, not even one coin. So, sweaty and tired they trudged back to their camp to sleep. The next day, Kamala returned to the plot of land, a big bag of seeds slung over her shoulder. Ah! Yesterday, this place was a mess of weeds and dirt. Now, it looks like it's been plowed seven times over. (laughs) Thanks, thieves. Kamala began walking up and down the field, planting seeds in the neatly plowed earth. Suddenly, She heard a voice behind her. It was the leader of the thieves, joined by his six greedy companions. You, you told me there was gold hidden in this land. Kamala smiled sweetly. That's what we heard. So, you lied then. Did I? Or is it you who lied? Look how many friends you've brought with you. Didn't you promise you'd keep my secret? The head thief gritted his teeth. His cheeks turned bright red. Well, this isn't the last you've heard from us. That gold should be ours. And it will be. Then he turned on his heel and stomped away, the other six thieves following obediently behind. Oh, you have your gold. Just not the kind you think. What do you think will happen next? We'll find out after a quick break. My name is Alex. I'm four years old. And my favorite circle around is dollars and cents. Welcome back to Circle Round. I'm Rebecca Shear. 
Today our story is called A Taste of Honey. When we left off, Kamala the beekeeper had accepted an offer from the king. He sent her to a plot of land at the edge of town and told her if she planted it and sold the harvest, she and her father could keep half of the gold coins they made. But the land was in desperate need of plowing, so Kamala tricked seven thieves into plowing it for her. When they realized they'd been fooled, they vowed to get revenge. All summer long, Kamala devoted herself to weeding and watering the king's land. Come fall, her father helped her harvest the crops and take them to market. The fruits and vegetables were so bountiful and beautiful, everyone wanted to buy them. Kamala and her father took the gold coins they made and split them into two bags. Her father took one of the bags to the king. The other bag, Kamala brought home. She used some of the gold to pay off her debts, then buried the rest in her cottage's front yard, underneath an apple tree. But she suspected she wasn't yet finished with the seven thieves, or rather, they weren't finished with her. That night, as a full moon rose in the sky, Kamala glanced outside her window. Sure enough, she spotted the seven thieves hiding behind the bushes near the apple tree. This was the moment she'd been waiting for. In an extra loud voice, she called out to her father. Oh, father, can you believe how much gold we brought home today? Kamala's dad knew exactly what his clever daughter was up to. It's positively amazing, Kamala. I've never seen so much gold in my entire life. I hope you put it somewhere safe. Of course I did. Do you take me for a fool? I've hung the gold in a bag high up in the branches of the apple tree. Nobody will look for it there. Outside the cottage, the thieves chuckled quietly to themselves. As soon as it seemed Kamala and her dad had turned in for the night, the thieves tiptoed out from behind the bushes and looked up at the apple tree. The leader of the thieves jabbed his finger toward one of the top branches. Ha! <laughs> there it is, folks, the bag of gold. As the leader of this pack and the strongest, I'll climb up there and bring it down. Now, by the light of the moon, the head thief thought he saw a big, bulky bag of gold. But as he soon would learn, it was another kind of gold altogether. In no time, he shimmied up the trunk of the tree, then climbed the branches to the very top. When he came close to what he thought was the bag of gold, he suddenly let out a yelp. You see, the bag was actually one of Kamala's beehives dripping with gold and honey. She'd hung the hive so high, the thieves hadn't heard the buzz-buzz buzzing of her bees. And now they were buzz-buzz buzzing all over the thieves' leader. He began clapping his hands all over his body, trying to protect himself from the bees. In the process, he smeared himself with honey and desperately tried wiping it off. But the view from the ground was very different, and his fellow thieves thought he was doing something else entirely. Hey, is he grabbing the gold and shoveling it into his pockets? It sure looks like it. Well, I never. He's stealing from us. 
What a thief! The leader overheard the thieves' chatter below. No, 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 folks! Ouch, 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 ouch! I swear! Ouch, 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 ouch! You've got me all wrong! But the other thieves weren't convinced. One by one, they clambered to the top of the tree, intent on getting the gold. And one by one, they were swarmed by Kamala's bees. By the time the seventh thief got to the top, can you guess what happened? That's right. The branch all seven thieves were standing on broke with a snap, and every single one of them came tumbling down along with the beehive. Meanwhile, Kamala and her father weren't asleep at all. They'd been wide awake this entire time. As they watched from their window, they weren't sure what was louder, the buzzing of the bees or the hoots and hollers from the thieves as they stampeded away, dripping with gold. Gold honey, that is. What did I tell you? You wanted gold? And now you've got it. From then on, Kamala and her father lived comfortably. Soon after their adventure with the thieves, Kamala's honey business took off. Turns out the grouchy king had recommended her sweet golden honey to everyone he knew. But even though Kamala now had plenty of money to get by, that wasn't what made her feel rich. She'd learned the importance of relying on yourself to solve problems and using your smarts. And that sweet lesson was worth all the gold in the world. Now it's your turn. Think about a time you relied on yourself and used your smarts to solve a problem. Perhaps you figured out a homework question all on your own. Or you fixed a broken toy. Maybe you came up with a solution for a friend or family member who was struggling with something. Whatever it was, grab some paper and something to draw with and make a picture of how you felt after you solved that problem. Something tells me you'll have a big smile on your face. This week's story, A Taste of Honey, was written by me, Rebecca Shear, and edited by Circle Round's executive producer, Jessica Alpert. Original music and sound designs by Eric Shimalonis. Our artist is Sabina Hahn. And we have a ton of Sabina's black and white illustrations on our website, ready for you to color. Ask your grown-up to visit wbur.org slash circle round and click on Coloring Pages. Special thanks to this week's actors, L Borders, Evan Casey, Maurice Parent, Lynette Ruthnam, Anne Underland, Craig Wallace, Tom Whaley, Jacob Yeh, Naren Simone, and Hannah Simone. Naren is the author of numerous books, including Pink Balcony, Silver Moon, and Desert Song. And Hannah starred for seven seasons on the Fox comedy New Girl. If you haven't yet subscribed to Circle Around, find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a few moments, please write us a review. It helps other people find the show. Circle Around is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling around with us.
Ever heard the expression, you can't judge a book by its cover? It can be tempting to form an opinion about something based on how it looks. But more often than not, it's what's inside that counts. And in today's story, an entire town of people learn that lesson in a most delicious way. I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. Today, our story is called The Unwelcome Guest. Versions of this tale originally come from the Middle East, where it's one of many stories featuring a character named Nasruddin, a wise man who lived long ago. Some really great people came together to bring you our folktale, including Richard Kind. Kids, you may recognize Richard's voice from movies like A Bug's Life, Cars, and Inside Out. And grown-ups, you may know him from Gotham on Fox, as well as the Amazon original series, Red Oaks. So, circle around, everyone, for the unwelcome guest. The town beside the sea was abuzz with the news. The governor was holding a grand banquet, and everyone was invited. The artists and accountants, the librarians and lawyers, the taxi drivers and teachers, everyone. But no one was as excited as Nasruddin. The wise man owned a vineyard at the edge of town, and the governor would be serving Nasruddin's wine at the feast. The day of the big event, Nasruddin woke up extra early. He dug deep into his closet and began rummaging around. All right, where are you? Now? No, not that one. No, not that, no. <laughs> there you are! Nasruddin smiled as he pulled out his long red silk coat. It was his favorite piece of clothing, embroidered with clusters of bright purple grapes. Nasruddin only wore the coat on very special occasions, and definitely not at the vineyard, where he spent most days kneeling in the dirt and sweating in the sun as he trimmed vines and picked grapes before crushing them to make wine. So that morning, Nasruddin laid the coat on his bed, along with a nice shirt, perfectly pressed pants, and his shiniest shoes. I can hardly wait for tonight. I'll come right home after work. I'll get all scrubbed up and then head straight to the party. (laughs) Then he set off for the vineyard. Nasruddin worked especially hard all day. And when he finally looked up at the clock, (gasps) the governor's banquet was starting in 15 minutes. Oh, no. Nasruddin looked down at his clothes. Smudges of mud and splotches of grape juice were everywhere. The front and back of his shirt were clammy with sweat. Oh, but just 15 minutes till the party starts. There's no time for me to go home, get cleaned up, and change into my fine silk coat. I'll just have to go as I am. Nasruddin saddled up his donkey and headed to the governor's mansion. When he arrived, he tied the donkey to a tree and walked toward the doorman. As he approached, the men scrunched up their faces. Do you smell what I smell? Yeah, it's almost like... uh, Squished grapes. And sweat. Not hearing what they were saying, Nasruddin gave the men a friendly wave and breezed through the door. When he stepped inside the banquet hall, he saw the entire village milling about, everyone dressed in their very finest clothing, 
and sipping on Nasruddin's wine. Nasruddin had always been a friendly, talkative sort, so he began making the rounds. Hi, how are you? Hi, hello. But as he greeted his friends and neighbors, he noticed no one greeted him back. Instead, they turned away. Huh. It's gotten into everybody. To make things worse, not even the butlers carrying trays of food would come near him. Nasruddin had been too busy to eat that day, so his mouth watered as he watched the elusive parade of meats, cheeses, breads, and spreads. Well, this is weird. This is just plain weird. At the very least, the governor will talk to me. I mean, he is serving my wine, after all. But as Nasruddin approached, the governor looked the wise man up and down, frowned, then waved at someone across the room and hurried away. What's going on? What's the matter with these people? When the bell rang for dinner, a scowling butler ushered Nasruddin to a corner of the room, as far away as possible from the governor. Right this way, please. As Nasruddin took his seat, the butler held out a bundle of bright white napkins. Here. I can't say these will hide the smell, but at least they'll cover up those stains. Rolling his eyes, the butler dropped the napkins in Nasruddin's lap, turned on his heel, and walked away. Suddenly, Nasruddin understood. Ha! So it's my clothing everybody has a problem with. I can't believe this. Seriously? The governor has invited the entire town, everybody, rich and poor, to his party. But yet, because of what I'm wearing, I'm an unwelcome guest. Now remember, Nasruddin was a wise man. And that's when he had an idea. Uh Uh-huh. Before dinner was served, Nasruddin slid his chair away from the table and slipped out of the banquet hall. As he exited the mansion, he took a deep breath of the warm night air and smiled. (laughs) Well, I may be an unwelcome guest, but I'll bring back a guest that they'll most definitely welcome. I just have to act fast. Then he jumped on his donkey and headed home. What do you think Nasruddin is planning? We'll find out after a quick break. Hi, my name is Jahawi, and I'm five, and I live in England, Bristol, and my favorite story is Stella and the Dragon, because Stella goes and gets the um, gold. And because she gets 100 children. Bye-bye. I love your show. Welcome back to Circle Round. I'm Rebecca Shear. Today our story is called The Unwelcome Guest. When we left off, Nasruddin had just left the governor's big banquet. Nasruddin had come to the fancy dinner straight from a long, hot day at his vineyard, so his clothing was stained with mud, grapes, and sweat. 
As a result, all the guests treated him with disdain. No one would venture near him, even though the governor was serving Nasruddin's wine at the dinner. So Nasruddin hatched a plan. Back at his house, he pumped extra bubbly soap into a steaming hot bath and climbed in. He scrubbed from his head to his toes. Then he dusted himself with powder and buttoned up his fancy shirt and pants. Finally, he slipped on his long red silk coat, the one embroidered with clusters of bright purple grapes. He took one last look at himself in the mirror. Look at you! You look marvelous! And rushed back to the governor's feast. This time, when Nasruddin walked toward the doormen, instead of scrunching up their faces, they smiled. Good evening, sir. It's an honor to have you. Come in, come in. When Nasruddin entered the banquet hall, the very same butler from before, the one who'd rudely dropped the napkins in his lap, came running over. Good sir, might I escort you to the governor's table? Right this way. As Nasruddin followed the butler, people waved and called to him from all corners of the room. Nasruddin, hi! Hello. How are you? You look Wonderful. What a party, eh? When Nasruddin reached the governor's table, the dignitary leapt up and enwrapped him in a hug. Nasruddin, my good man. Such an honor to have you here. <laughs> Please sit next to me and eat all you want. My cooks have prepared enough tantalizing food to feed an entire country, let alone a town. Nasruddin did as he was told and sat next to the governor. Immediately, a waiter brought a glistening plate of roasted bell peppers. Now remember, Nasruddin hadn't eaten all day. He'd been too busy working. But instead of gobbling up the peppers, one by one he picked them up and stuffed them into the pockets of his coat. Mmm, peppers. Oh, these look so good. Here you go, coat. The guests seated around Nasruddin stared in astonishment. When the next course arrived, a fragrant bowl of lentil soup, Nasruddin blew on the soup to cool it off, then, yes, poured it into the pockets of his coat. I know how much you love soup, coat. Enjoy! By now, everyone in the room was gaping at Nasruddin. With every new course the waiters brought, cucumber salad... Ooh, coat! Taste these! Zucchini fritters. Hey, coat! Have a nibble on these! Lamb kebabs. Bon appetit! Nasruddin didn't eat a bite. Instead, he dumped everything into the pockets of his long red silk coat. All this time, the governor had been frozen in his seat, his eyes wider than the bowl of soup Nasruddin had poured into his coat pockets. Finally, he spoke up. Nasruddin? With all due respect, what are you doing? Nasruddin looked up innocently. Who, me? Well, I'm feeding my coat, of course. I, I, I can see that, but why feed a coat? I mean, all this delicious food we have here? What a waste! Nasruddin smiled. Oh, you see it as a waste, huh? Ah, you see, I don't see it as a waste at all. I don't understand. Nasruddin stood up and looked around the crowded room. He cleared his throat, <coughs> and the bustling room became silent. My dear friends and neighbors, 
When I first arrived at this feast tonight, I was dressed in my work clothes, all smudged and stained and smelly. And nobody, including you, Governor, nobody gave me the time of day. You all treated me like I was nothing. The guests in the banquet hall felt their faces burn red with shame. The governor hung his head. Then he placed his hand on Nasruddin's shoulder. What you say is true, Nasruddin. And on behalf of everyone, I am sorry, truly sorry. But I'm still confused. Why feed your coat? The wise man's eyes twinkled. Well, you see, after the way each and every one of you treated me, I went back home, and I changed into this coat. And I come back, and I'm greeted with smiles. And it was the coat that made all the difference, so I realized it wasn't me that you wanted at your party. It was my coat. So, what else could I do but feed all of your delectable foods to the coat? See, I'm the unwelcome guest at this party. So my coat must be the welcome one. And with that, he walked out of the banquet hall, puddles and pieces of food trailing behind him. From then on, everyone in town thought twice before treating people based on their appearance. They remembered it's what's inside that matters most. Just as the wise man had hoped, Nasruddin's lesson proved to be some very precious and very scrumptious food for thought. Now it's your turn. Have you ever judged something or someone on appearance alone? Maybe you thought a food would taste yucky because it wasn't especially pretty, but it turned out to be delicious. Or you assumed a person was really serious because they weren't very smiley when you met, but then you learned they were just having a rough day. Think about that time and share your story with someone you like to have fun with. Talk about what happened and what you learned about judging a book by its cover. This week's story, The Unwelcome Guest, was adapted by me, Rebecca Shear, and edited by Circle Round's executive producer, Jessica Alpert. Original music and sound design is by Eric Shimalonis. Our artist is Sabina Hahn. You can find Sabina's black and white illustrations for all of our stories on our website, wbur.org slash circle round. Click on coloring pages, then print some out and fill them in with colors of your own. And if you feel like it, share your masterpiece on Instagram. We're at instagram.com slash circle round podcast. Special thanks to this week's actors, Elle Borders, Evan Casey, Laura Gardner, Mitchell Abair, Maurice Parent, Craig Wallace, Tom Whaley, Jacob Yeh, and Richard Kind. Kids, you can hear Richard's voice on Summer Camp Island on the Cartoon Network. And if you haven't yet seen the movie Inside Out, Richard portrays the one and only Bing Bong. The featured instrument in today's story was the oud. You can learn more about this member of the string family and see a picture on our website, wbur.org slash circle round. If you haven't yet subscribed to Circle Round, find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Circle Round is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Thank you.
I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling around with us.